Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Hey everyone, welcome to Window on the West, where, as, as we just said, we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. And right now we're exploring the first age in the Silmarillion, and we're going through Of Baron and Luthien. It's uh, the third part, so we've given it its, its due, for sure, I think. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm here along with my co-hosts, uh, Dan Coates, down below. And to my, to my, well, here, I'm, it's my right, I guess. To, <laughs> Michael, to one of his sides. Michael Grumbine, uh, who, is, who is back from a nice jaunt onto the West Coast. So welcome back. Good to see Thank you, you guys. We had a little break last week, but um, we did post a fun video, a uh, fun uh, podcast about going through a horrible article that was telling us why Tolkien uh, no longer, or Tolkien is problematic, I think was one of the words that was used mm. in the article. In any case... We are now into the problematic Tolkien and of Baron and Luthien where, no, okay, I'm going to stop talking about that because it is not problematic. It's probably, you know, it's one of the, the deepest stories in there. So we're going to get into part three of that, which means we have a lot to talk about still. Before we jump into that, uh, a couple reminders. One, hey, we, we'd love to get some more reviews on uh, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, Stitcher and all those places where you listen. I don't know, does anybody actually use Stitcher? I don't know anybody who does. So in any case, but everybody says it in the podcast I listen to. However, leave a review. Give us a thumbs up, you know. Uh, five stars would be nice, but um, we really appreciate that. And uh, the more reviews we have, the more people listen to us, and uh, the more interaction we get with you guys, which is a lot of fun. So do that. Leave a comment you know, on YouTube, thumbs up, and ring the bell. Do all that sort of stuff. That's important. Um, but most of all, like, we'd love for you to become a patron. We're, we have a pretty active community now on Discord. Uh, with every new person that comes, we get a, a new uh, perspective on Tolkien, and that's a lot of fun to see. So if you go to theonering.com slash patron, you can get access there. It's $4 a month, and the first month is free. And in fact, you can become a YouTube member now, too, uh, by going to YouTube, youtube.com slash theonering.com. Um, and it's five dollars a month on youtube because youtube takes out a whole lot more money than the membership on the website since the membership on the website is straight through um the site itself we they don't take out the 30 percent that youtube does so youtube is five dollars a month and there's no free month but if it's easier on youtube go on youtube click the join button you can do that and if you're a member on discord you can actually pay for 99 cents and you get the little icons and emojis that uh that we've uploaded into youtube in order to interact with that sort of custom stuff so if you're on if you're on discord for 99 cents if you're on discord through our site uh as a patron through our site it's only four dollars and then you spend the 99 cents on uh, on youtube and you can get that access too so anyway yeah check that out um and if you're here on youtube yeah just click the little join button i think it's like i don't know which side it's on it's hard i'm all flipped around okay anyway we're not <laughs> We're going to try and land or, or st start, start actually like flying this plane a little bit here. Um, but we're not going to do all that as gold does not glitter because we have a lot to talk about. So we're going to jump straight, straight into Dan's Big Thought. All right. So my big thought this week, um, I think we've talked about in the past how the Cimmerils are kind of in and of themselves a, a, a sacred object, a, a good thing. Um, maybe they were made with some mixed motives, and then they certainly have an ill effect on people who have the wrong motives. Um, and so in this 
part of Baron and Luthien, we finally get to the part where Baron sneaks in and is able to cut a Cimmeril off of the crown of Morgoth. And it's interesting to me, there was a line that jumped out at me when um, Luthien dances and sings her song and is able to lull Morgoth to sleep. And there's a, it says the Cimmerils and the crown on Morgoth's head blazed forth suddenly with a radiance of white flames and the burden of that crown and of the jewels bowed down his head as though the world were set upon it, laden with a care, with a weight of care of fear and of desire that even the will of Morgoth could mm. not port. And it's interesting to me how, Morgoth desires this thing that's good, but obviously with evil intent, he's willing to murder and steal to get it. And when he finally gets what he wants, it's like a, it's like a burden. It's a weight to him that he can't even, he can't even sustain it. And when Baron takes it, he's able to grasp it lightly and he's able to not be burned by it. He has no pain when he takes it. It's 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 interesting to me that he's able to grasp the Cimmeril, which is something of like immense power and beauty, and he's not really affected by it. Um, he's certainly not hurt by it. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, I'm jumping ahead in the chapter. We're going to go through everything. But then he runs into the big wolf. Uh, is it Karkaroth? And, yep. Uh, I was going to ask you guys. I, I don't actually know if it's supposed to be pronounced Karcharoth, but I think it's Kar. I've always said Karkaroth. Yeah, so. Okay. Kar-Karoth. Yeah. And so Kar-Karoth. when when <laughs> when Karkaroth, whatever, uh, he, he basically eats Baron's hand that's holding the Cimmeril, and when he does that, it fills him with immense power. It makes him crazy strong, but at the same time, it fills him with pain and madness. Uh, he's filled with a flame of anguish and it sears his accursed flesh, I think is the line Tolkien writes. And so it's interesting to me how the Cimmeril, whether you're good or whether you're evil, it's going to affect you differently. Right. It burns him right from the inside. Yeah. Although it takes a long time to, it doesn't actually kill him, just right. torments him. So I don't know. Yeah. What, what did you guys think about that? Like the, just that idea that, whether you're good or you're evil, the, the Cimmeril affects you differently. Like that you both, in a sense, I, I would say Baron desires it in some way, but it seems like he desires to grab it um, uh, almost out of a pure motive out of a, uh, he, he doesn't desire it in and of itself. He just, he, he wants it for a greater end or a greater good perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's sort of like an amplifier in a way. It feels like of, of that of like if 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 the weight of evil is on you, then that weight gets heavier. If the lightness of good is on you, then that lightness gets lighter or more powerful. Yeah. Maybe a, a, a way I thought of it too is that the Silmarils, in a way, are sort of like capturing the music of the Ainur of the, the creation of Ea, right? Because it is it, it it goes with the the original trees and 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 uh, sort of the the very foundations of this earth in a way. Um, and when you're holding, right, holding something that is, uh, that pure from the beginning in a way you are, it's like you're singing. it's, but if you're Morgoth, you hold it, but yet you're fighting against it the entire time in the same way that he was fighting against, um, Iluvatar in, in creating the discordant melody, the discordant mm-hmm. harmony that he was fighting against that. And so it was a weight to him. He always had to fight and push and pull. And so him holding it is a, is a struggle just like it's always been a struggle for him. But if you're in harmony with it, 
it like Baron would be, um, like Manway would be, uh, it's not um, a burden because you are uh, you are weaving yourself into that melody rather than weaving yourself against it. I don't hmm. know, maybe that's a little too ethereal, but uh... yeah. So, hmm. I think so. The way that passage that you quoted and one of my favorite ones, Dan, the way it struck me was interesting because it's almost as if the song of Luthien brings out the true nature of the Silmarils, right? Their nature is to shine forth with a radiance, with a, with a holy radiance. And so song, song again, all, it's all about the song. This, ch this chapter is just so much song. It's unbelievable, but it's his, it's, it's this, this is the nature of the Silmaril to shine forth. And so they blaze forth. But then also there is, it's interesting the way Tolkien phrased it because Morgoth's head is bowed down almost under, so he wears a crown with the Silmarils on and the weight of the world and all that is real sort of bends his head down. So it's almost as if the whole weight of the kingship that he claims with his crown is actually brought out and made real and he can't bear it. And so mm -hmm. his, his head, his, even his, the might of Morgoth can't uphold that weight. And so he, his head is bowed. And then of course the sleep takes um, effect. Um, but one of the passages, it almost seems to give the Silmarils a will of their own. Became... We, can, I, can I ask one question about that? Talking uh, That line talking about the weight of the world mm -hmm. and the weight of care, fear, and desire. And out of those three things, care seems out of place. The weight of care. Does that mean, do you think that means because the weight of the world is on him, although it, it says it's, it's as though the world were set upon it, so maybe it's more of a metaphor of like how heavy this thing is. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that, you know, uh, we have the weight of the world and you have him uh, falling off his his, uh, uh, his throne as, a, was it an, as an avalanche down at, like a hill or uh, a hill sliding down into the valley. Um, but like that word, the, the weight of care, is it, is it he? I it's I don't know I don't know what to make of it. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, does is it the care of the world that he should have but doesn't, or what? No, I, I read it as like he's very he cares very much about the Cimmerils. He's he's obsessed with mm. them. So it's the weight of he. It's kind of like with the ring. Like you're just obsessed with it. You're constantly weight, focused okay. on it. So, so the like weight you of, say the weight of care of the Cimmerils, the fear of the Cimmerils, and of desire of the Cimmerils. Like maybe maybe just cons like you're so focused on it that you're you're that's all you care about and you're you're afraid to lose them, and uh, but you desire them at all times. That's that's kind of how how I was reading that, hmm. but maybe I don't know. I I agree with you, Dan. I think that's the care. I think it's using Morgoth's own weakness. So so in hmm. his care, his overweening focus on the Silmarils, in his fears about losing them, about the elves, about the the Valar in his desires, his desire for the Silmarils, his desire for power, his desire for Luthien, which has just become his downfall. Because remember, he doesn't, he strips away her her disguise when she enters the room, but she offers him to sing for him. And then so he pauses and he thinks a thought of lust about what he's going to do with her. And that weakness of lust is his downfall because that gives her the chance to disappear into the shadows and then cast her spell upon him. But all of that fear, desire, care is becomes like a physical weight. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's that flaw. It's all of his flaws, essentially his sin. If you want to talk about it that way, that yeah. bo- bears down upon him like a weight, which is a very, a, co- a common theme, obviously in Western civilization is that our sins have a weight to them that we can't yeah. bear. Mm-hmm. And in this, in this instance, Morgoth can't bear the weight of his sins as brought out by the, but interestingly initiated by, by first Luthien calling forth the light of the Cimmeril. So she, calls forth their nature and then she calls forth the nature of his sin and the two mm-hmm. things together crush him or bow his head down and that allows him her to drop her cloak over him um that she has woven remember from her hair mm-hmm. and uh, set upon him a dream dark as the outer void where once he walked alone so this is actually like this dream is just a it's complete nothingness it's utter void like he just he goes he he she um she blacks him out essentially, <laughs> literally. Um, and hard he, elven uppercut. That's right. And she just and he falls prone on the floor and is and all of his court is asleep. And then uh, the only good thing ever to come from Kelagorm comes out, or is it Kurafin? I can't remember which one. Angrist, you mean? Yeah, the, the, yeah, the only good thing, which was <laughs> Angrist, which can Angrist can cut through iron like like a green sapling like a knife through a green sapling of wood. And so he, he cuts the Silmaril with Angrist. Um, and then there's this moment, and this is what what's, I found two things interesting. Um, first, um, and from the iron claws that held it, he drew, he cut a Silmaril. Um, the iron claws, uh, I'm presuming that the iron crown has like kind of claw-like protrusions that each of them hold a Silmaril in them. So he pries one, he cuts one loose. And um, as he closed it in his hand, the radiance welled through his living flesh and his hand became as a shining lamp. But the jewel suffered his touch and hurt him not. It's interesting that Tolkien may, gives agency to the jewel in that regard. Mm. It doesn't say, but he wasn't hurt. It mm. says the jewel suffered his touch. In other words, it allowed him to touch it and hurt him not. So the it, it, the verb is in the active voice and hurt him not. So the jewel is choosing not to hurt him. Mm. Um, hmm. So the jewel almost has its own. I mean, I think its nature has been brought forth. I don't actually think the Silmarils have an intention, um, but they may be s- somewhat similar to the way the ring works sometimes, uh, maybe in this moment, maybe through the song of Luthien, because um, we, we have something similar language when Morgoth, the jewels don't suffer Morgoth's touch and they burn him. Um, mm. And it uses the active voice there too. So anyway, it's interesting that the Tolkien's giving a kind of agency to the jewels, but um, it but says, he, and, didn't he give that agency in the beginning though, to them too? Wasn't there a, where I, I was, I, 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 I know of two places. One when well, they burn Morgoth yeah. and one when, in this yeah, instance. Let, let me try and find it. You go on. I'm going to see if I can find what I mean. Hmm. Okay. All right. And, and But interestingly, then Baron has an idea, and almost this idea, like, I agree with you, Dan, the, for his first idea to take the Silmarils was pure. He's the, the only person so far that has taken the Silmarils with a pure intention, a, a Silmaril with a pure intention. And, um, and so the Silmaril suffers him to do so. But then he goes for all three, and it says... Such was not the doom of the Silmarils. The knife Angrist snapped, and a shard of the blade flying smote the cheek of Morgoth. He groaned and stirred, and all the host of Angband moved in sleep. Hmm. 
So, so it's almost like the jewels again, or fate, or or the will of Iluvatar is saying, "Nope, your quest was one. You get one, and that's it." Um, and so, and so, then they they he and Luthien flee at that point. But um, I do want to call attention also to an interesting um, the opening of this because we I know we jumped to this passage because of your big thought, Dan. But this. Can I say what before you jump to that? Here's the oh, yeah, thing yeah. I thought of that. When when he first created it, when when Feanor first created it, uh, in chapter seven of the Silmarils and the unrest of the Noldor, Tolkien writes that uh, the crystal of the Silmarils was to the body. Uh, what, the the crystal was to the Silmarils, but as is the body to the children of Luvatar, that house of its inner fire that is within it, and yet all parts of it, and is its life. Like already then, it ha- there's an anthropomorphization of the of the Silmarils a little bit. Hmm. Um, because, and it talks about, and the inner fire of the Silmarils, Feanor made of the blended light of the trees of fire and inner fire is something that they talk about, like with Feanor and a servant of the secret fire. Like, so, so there's already, I feel like in the very beginning, there's more than, right. It's more than just a jewel. It's more than just a gem because it houses more, not, not, not like the ring has its own desire to return to its master. But anyway, hmm. I, I, in my reading, that's what I feel like I could be, you know, reading too far into it. I would agree. I don't think that's too far at all. Um, I did. I just wanted to point out a pretty clear statement from Tolkien right before this confrontation with Morgoth, and he says, "This is after they passed Karkaroth for the first time." <clears throat> then Baron and Luthien went through the gate and down the labyrinthine stairs, and together wrought the greatest deed that has been dared by elves or men. So here it is. Tolkien's declaring this is the greatest deed that has ever been wrought by elves or men. So the, ain't nothing's ever going to surpass this. Mm-hmm. And of course, what it, what happens is something that no no other Maiar, no Valar has ever done, which is confront Morgoth in his own home and take a Silmaril from him. And I just want to point out, Barons had also ran in this story. Luthien does everything. Like Luthien has, <laughs> Luthien has the power. It's Luthien's power. Baron just slinks through, and then after Luthien downs Morgoth and his entire court, then he comes up with a knife and he cuts the Silmaril out. And then he does try to do something on their way out, which is confront Karkaroth with the Silmaril, and that doesn't go well. So <laughs> I'm just pointing out this is the opposite of the patriarchy, just for the record. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the hero of this story, heroine specifically, is uh, the, uh, the one with all the, with the power in this case is, is um, Luthien. Baron just mm-hmm. f- fulfills the part of a tragic hero in a certain sense, but not even the... But I don't even know if you could say he had a tragic flaw. He just tragedy befalls him. Yeah, and I, I like how it's a subtle magic or a subtle power. It's not she doesn't overpower him with strength. She overpowers him by making him fall asleep. Right. And, so not, and, it's you mean you mean it, she didn't do a Hadouken? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't like girl boss, you know, a Galadriel from the Rings of Power. It was, you know, she had uh, she just had a subtleness right. to her, and she had a a beauty to her that the song is kind of like based on her, her softness and her beauty. And that, that just fascinates me that she's, she's yeah. able to, it's, her, it's kind of like a big theme in Tolkien that like the meekness and the, the, the beautiful light that's not as strong or not as it's not as strong as the forces of evil, but it still overpowers it in the end. It's a feminine strength actually. Right. Yeah. That's why I would put it is the way Jonathan just did. It's a feminine strength. And, and just, just to point out, not to, nitpick too much but it overcame 
Morgoth. So in fact, in that moment, it was more powerful than Morgoth. It was just right. not, it was not a punch you in the face power. It was right. a feminine power and, and it overcame him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, yep, yep. The greatest deed ever wrought by elves and men was wrought by a woman. So, <laughs> you know, here we go. Patriarchy all over again. Yeah. Yeah, but at least the guy was there to like stand in front of his woman and say, "You will not take this." Sil- Ow! <laughs> Gets it. Yeah. It's almost right like off. whatever Baron does, Tolkien has to say. He has to show how basically he's he's really good at trying, and then he always fails. <laughs> so we have to remember that uh, on on Tolkien's gravestone, it's Baron and Luthien, him and his wife. So I wonder what he's saying about himself. Why, you yeah, know? Right. Like, <laughs> I mean. I don't wonder at all. Uh, Tolkien was, I think, a very humble man, and he yeah. ascribed much, much of the good in his life to his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take the spear. I'll get my hand chopped off as long as you. <laughs> That's right. Off, That's right. Hey, so what do you guys think is going on with Karkaroth? Um, we were given a story about his uh, his creation, um, and I'm going to read a passage from that, and you tell me what you think is going on here because it's interesting. Because he starts as a wolf, and he starts as a wolf because Morgoth knows the. Um, knows about Huon, the Hound of Arome. He knows about the foretelling that Huon's going to go down to a wolf. So just like Sauron, uh, Morgoth. So what he does is he chooses a wolf and he feeds him with his own hand upon living flesh and put his power in him. Okay, so that's one thing. So he's feeding him with his hand and he's putting his power into him. So that now, now it's a wolf with Morgoth's power. And he um, swiftly the wolf grew until he could creep into no den but lay huge and hungry before the feet of Morgoth. So massive size. There, the fire and anguish of hell entered into him. Which is this the first time Tolkien's actually used the term hell? Hmm. Might be. We can do a search. There, the fire and anguish of hell entered into him, and he became filled with a devouring spirit, tormented, terrible, and strong. What does this remind you all of? Because I can tell you what it reminds me of. Ents and eagles. Oh. A spirit comes down and yes. enters the ants, the trees, and the birds, and they become the great eagles and the ants. And in this case, Morgoth, I think, is doing the same thing with a devouring spirit. So there's something different. So you got a wolf, and then Morgoth pours his power into it and becomes massive and strong and terrible. But then something else happens, which is this devouring spirit enters him. And it even talks later about the devouring spirit as a separate thing. Um, and you know, which we can read those passages too if we want. But but I, I, I think it's a similar, I think it's Morgoth imitating the creation of the Ents and the Eagles. Yeah, although Tolkien would say that Morgoth can't create. He can imitate. He can twist. Imitate. So, But perhaps he called a spirit in, a, in the same mm-hmm. way that, you know. Ongo well, he calls spirits spirit. to attack the moon, yeah, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, well. Yes. And and he and, and in that sort of statement, he becomes um, the uh, you know the the opposite, the, the 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 true antagonist of Huan because Huan is not just a dog either. He's there's a spirit inside of him as a hound uh, that comes from Valinor too. Which I and in the same way, I, I look at him more as like you would say the Ents or the Eagles, that he is more than just a hound that can go, who Baron, you know, something like that. So. <laughs> Uh, like the Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Tolkien Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. we don't get like a real clear description of what kind of hound. Maybe it's like a basset hound or, you know, big, big, giant basset hound. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> don't, they call, don't they call him a wolf hound? Or do oh, they maybe, they, maybe they do. Maybe, yeah. 
Yeah. He's I mean, like, maybe that, that's that, lit- that would make more sense. Literal, literal. <laughs> maybe he's just literally a wolfhound, like he hunts wolves. So, <laughs> or maybe maybe that speaks to something like his form. Okay, so we've talked about how they do the greatest deed ever wrought. They get a Silmaril. They carry it out. All looks good. Nobody opposes them, and they get back, and Karkaroth can't be held down. Nobody puts a baby in a corner, so uh, Karkaroth <laughs> is, is out again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Baron does another one of his heroic things that ends in tragedy. I mean, I guess his WWF move was that was, was the didn't end thing. in tragedy. That was a that was successful. That was so he should awesome. stick to, he should stick to MMA, but you know he doesn't. So he tries to get Karkaroth to fly from the from the fire and the light. So this is where the second place where we hear about the devouring spirit. But Karkaroth looked upon that holy jewel and was not daunted. And the devouring spirit within him awoke to sudden fire. So there's a separate, there's something inside of him. It's almost like he's possessed. Yeah. It's almost like there's there's a, I mean, it is the fires of hell. So you know, it's kind of possession. Because um, <clears throat> awoke to sudden fire and gaping, he took suddenly the hand within his jaws and he bit it off at the wrist. Leading to what will ultimately be the the funniest macabre joke of Tolkien's Silmarillion later on. Did you do you know what I'm talking about? I, All right, I'm going to fast forward to okay, it. Okay, I don't. I don't. <laughs> All right, here we go. So later on, in a few a few pages, um, <clears throat> Baron and Luthien, Luth Baron has uh, been brought back from the dead. They spent some time together, and ultimately felt bad about keeping Luthien. So Baron takes her back to Doriath, which has been in a real downer slump since uh, Luthien left. And for some reason, we're supposed to care about Diron, the minstrel. So whatever. <laughs> he, he goes off and becomes the greatest minstrel ever after being a, a, a twerp and betraying Luthien multiple times already before this. But I, I, I think Tolkien liked Diron because originally he was actually Luthien's brother in the... Uh, in oh, the you might be right. Movie. Yeah. Okay. So All right. Felt like so, right. So, somewhere. So, so anyway, Diron's the guy with the boombox outside the window that gets rejected. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so he goes back and uh, Baron comes in and presents himself before Thingol. <laughs> then Baron led Luthien before the throne of Thingol, her father. And he, that's Thingol, looked in wonder upon Baron, whom he had thought dead. But he loved him not because of the woes he had brought upon Doriath. Um <laughs> but Bar- but Baron knelt before him and said, I return according to my word. I am come now to claim my own. And Thingol answered, what of your quest and of your vow? But Baron said, it is fulfilled. Even now, a Silmaril is in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, then Thingol it's... said, show it to me. And then he goes, holds up his stump. <laughs> because literally the Silmaril is in his hand, his hand. In, the, in the belly of Karkaroth. So... Mm. Uh, that's it's uh, another one of those I am no man kind of moments that we right. talked about in our extended podcast. That's exactly right. Yeah. Very literal joke. Yeah. Hmm. Even now, a Silmaril is in my hand. Yeah. yeah. Although he calls himself the Cam- Camlost, another name, the empty handed. I'm like, but wait, your hand isn't empty. You are the no handed. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, technically, he has one other hand, right? That's true. So, yeah. <laughs> so man, we're, we're jumping around. I don't know if we need to go through this here point by point, but, but after they leave, so what happens after they. Um, after they leave is they are saved or after they get out of the gates of, of Angband, they are saved by uh, the Eagles. Dun, dun, dun. So, so what, what's interesting, like, let's talk about the Eagles for a second, because the Eagles, <laughs> all they do 
is they save people. They're not there to actually uh, have agency. <laughs> to <use it>. Right. <laughs> they, they don't push the story forward. They just make sure the people don't die. Right. <laughs> at least at first. I mean, look, Tolkien's like, I invented this term, you catastrophe, so I'm darn well going to have some <laughs> characters. And that's, their, that's what they are. That's all they are. They are the you catastrophe that just yeah. keeps showing up and saving everything. Yeah. Hmm. And, and as they're flying, as they're, they're being taken to the borders of Doriath, uh, Tolkien does write that Luthien espies the Vale of Timladen and Gondolin below, which is interesting, and which is something that uh, uh, one of our patrons asked, and we're going to talk in our extended podcast. So if you want the extended podcast, go to thewinning.com slash patron or become a member. Yep. On, uh, and there's a cool painting by Ted Naismith about that moment exactly. Wait, wait, wait. What? Uh, uh, there it is. There it is. Nice. The yeah. Eagles oh, flying yeah. with Baron and Luthien over Gondolin. That's a great one. I don't yeah. think I have that. That's in the Silmarillion yep. Illustrator Edition. Yes, sir. The Ted Naismith Illustrated Edition of the Silmarillion. Wow. Yeah, that's good. So so they go there. And, and as you mentioned, right, they, they don't head straight back into Doriath. Um, they kind of... They hang out for a while. They hang out for a while, and Baron's like, oh, this is a prince. I can't, like, why are you... This is no life for you anymore. Right. Uh, and eventually... As you mentioned, they make their way back to mm-hmm. uh, to uh, Menegroth to see Thingol. But in the meantime, Karkroth is destroying a ton of stuff. He's he's <laughs> on the edges of Doriath. He starts making his way there. Yeah, he's like, and, a, he's like a giant kaiju monster, just destroying the whole. He is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. That's right. He is. He oh is goodness. the kaiju. I I I was going to call him in the spirit of our last reading of hyphenated names with with you know wolf baron and and vampire luthien i was going to call him silmaril karkaroth but i like kaiju karkaroth so <laughs> i'm going to go with that one because it says and this is the quote after he runs off with the silmaril and baron's hand in his belly of all the terrors that ever came into beleriand ere angband's fall the madness of karkaroth was the most dreadful for the power of the silmaril was hidden within it now think about that we just um, we read passages and um, from chapters where uh, the dragons come forth and lay waste, and whole regions are destroyed from the from the fire. Like, doesn't matter. He's worse than them. So he goes on this massive rampage, basically slaughtering everything. And as Jonathan mentioned, he comes to Doriath, and the the girdle of Melian is of no account to him because the Silmaril basically pushes it out of the way and he enters Doriath and everyone flees before him. So it's time to go on a hunt. Um, before he, he went on the hunt, there, there are a couple quotes that I, one in particular that I thought was, was interesting um, about how Baron and Luthien returned to Doriath, hastening, mm. hastening from the West where the news of their coming went before them, like the sound of music borne by the wind into dark houses where men sit sorrowful. And I, I like, it, there's a feeling to that where you're you're sitting alone and then you just hear off in the distance like a, a, a beautiful music that 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 starts you know getting closer and closer and closer and just wondering what it is and I, I I like the way that that he did that he's not it's like they didn't come in and and again speaking to what you mentioned earlier Dan they didn't come in um, <clears throat> with guns blazing with a, like look we've succeeded or like we're right. back uh, they came in uh, gently with song. Um, and not with uh, fanfare, 
Mm-hmm. He obviously didn't have a Silmaril, but they still came. I mean, you'd think that with Luthien coming back, there would be much rejoicing, or they, they you know, well, that would be a big thing for them. But well, Baron couldn't clap, so. <laughs> 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 so he's he's bearing the clapless <laughs> clap lost oh man when, when does he get the name is it cam lost or something he uh, gives it to himself right yeah. after right after his bad joke oh right. that's right after the bad joke the thingle okay yeah, the, the worst joke ever yeah. the, the empty even, even now a summerall is in my hand hmm. and then he, yeah. named, he in that hour he named himself cam lost the empty-handed so yeah, I like how only... he's just. I like how he's just sitting back. He's like, you know what? I'm going to call myself Cam Lost. <laughs> like, he's making up his own nicknames. <laughs> and then he has Obvi- the other one with the other uh, Air Camion. Uh, yes. What is that? I can't remember. What does that one mean? I remember that, but I just can't. remember. The one-handed. The one-handed. Okay, so he's the empty-handed one-handed. Mm. There. Mm. I, I just like the fact that he gives himself a new name after telling. You can see him like. Sitting back, he's like, "Yeah, that was a good joke. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was so good. I deserve a new name. <laughs> I name myself Cam Lost." Yeah. <laughs> oh man! All right, let's draw back to the hunters as they turned east and north, following the course of the river. They came at last upon Karkaroff, the wolf, in a dark valley, and and we are near the sad moment. Right, right. So the wolf um, hides at first, and they can't find him. So they set a they set a um a guard all about the valley or the thicket rather and uh so shadows grew long and the, but then before too long huan gets impatient turns out hound of arome doesn't have all the virtues he does not have patience so he uh he goes in and karkaroth uses that moment to i just uh, the way i imagine it it's like this huge dark thicket and karkaroth somewhere inside and he hears Huan coming, so he like leaves through another side and then rushes rushes out upon the party, upon Thingol. It says, uh, which is interesting, because he doesn't aim himself for Baron or Luthien. Hmm. Actually, Luthien's not there. Sorry, um, mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't aim himself for Baron. Maybe he figures he's already got a piece of Baron, literally. So uh, go for the king this time. <laughs> um, but uh, Baron, so Baron tries to interpose himself. Um, and then he does, he does turn his attention to Baron and, and, um, Kark, but Kark, Baron, swiftly Baron strode before him with a spear, but Karkaroth swept it aside and felled him biting at his breast. So he's basically like gnawing and destroying him from the outside at his breast and, um, then gets, uh, jumped upon by Huan and then, then begins the Karkaroth, the, uh, Kaiju Karkaroth versus Huan, um, fight. <laughs> It's mm. like Pacific Rim, except exactly <laughs> Tolkien style. Have yeah, you guys sorry. seen the picture of Karkaroth killing uh, Baron and Huan leaping on him from the? Do you have it there? I do. Hold on. Let's uh, uh, we'll describe it here. For... Oh wow! There you go. That's nice. That's Nasmith again. That is yeah. everything. Yeah. That's let me, see if, yeah. let me see if I can get it to focus. Hold on. Uh, it's all right. It's all good. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There it is. Yeah, for some reason that's a little smaller than I was envisioning in my head. I was thinking like a like big giant, you know, size of a house wolf or something. But yeah, I don't. I I agree with you, Dan. I don't. I don't vi- envision Karkaroth that small. I just think it was. It was probably for the purpose of the picture itself. Sure. Yeah, like like they're 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 normal sharks and they're great white sharks. Like Karkaroth is the great white 
of mm -hmm. wolves or gray it's, black it's, anyway gray but uh, black, yes right All i right. do agree with the coloring i think he should be a, a dark wolf yeah. yeah yeah so so it is it's at this point that huan slew Kar karkaroth man it's hard hard to say that over and over and karkaroth um and his own doom long spoken was fulfilled and i'm disappointed that we don't know what huan says to baron it's kind mm, of yeah. like one of those moments in cinema where somebody says something to somebody else and they, they, they don't let you hear what they say. Right. So we know he bade him farewell. That's what Tolkien says, but we don't know the exact it words. It would be nice to know. Um, and, and then Mablung and Beleg came hastening to the king's aid. Uh, uh, and uh, they knew, though, that... Well, okay. Before we get into what happens to Baron, they took the knife, they ripped up Cockroft's belly, and inside it's burned out. I feel like if you've ever taken a hot dog and put it in the microwave for like 10 minutes, like I did when I was eight years old, just for fun, <laughs> the entire inside of it is like this charred middle. Like the rest of it, it's hard, but it's this charred black tube in the middle. And that's what I feel like Karkaroff is. Is like he's just charred on the inside, right? He's Which, still somehow living, but just yeah, charred. Yeah, that begs the question like, how is he living if his insides are just charred? I mean, I think I have a theory, but I, I don't know what you guys thought of it. Did you think about that? Is that I, I just think he's because he's possessed. I think the the spirit inside of him is driving him on. Yeah, I mean, if 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 yeah, if it if was a normal spirit, wolf, yeah, yeah I would if the probably spirit be has become more powerful than the original wolf, then yes, yes. I don't think it's that important to like worry about why he would still be alive. I mean, you could say that um, in. <laughs> This is I, I never liked how they did this in Star Wars, but you know, they brought like uh Darth Maul back and the only thing like after uh Obi-Wan killed him, like or Obi-Wan sliced him in half at the end of the Phantom Menace, they brought him back in uh the Clone Wars TV show. Yeah. I didn't watch it, yeah, I just it know. Clone Wars thing, yeah. But the only thing that kept him alive was his hatred and the you know, his hatred with the dark <laughs> the, the dark side of the force. So that's what that's like Karkroth. He's like yeah. you know, he's, he's the life mm. of the dark side. Star Wars does that, Marvel does that. It's the hatred that keeps People the Hulk back. alive when but, the Hulk is, Hulk is, uh, but, um, is not coming back. No, he is not because we don't do that in the middle earth, uh, because what, in, except what, we're about to. Right. And it's not the fire of the Silmarils that, that chars him, right? Because the hand is still unsullied. It's still completely intact inside Baron's hand. See, I, I, I think it is the fire that, of the Simrils that chars him, just like the fire of the Simrils burns Morgoth when he t tries to touch it. Um, I, I just I think... Guess, but the, yeah, you know, no, no, I agree, but it's not, it's not like there was, there was a heat, a flame, something inside that was burning in that sense. I feel like it's more like it's the spirit, the inner fire of the Silmarils. He couldn't handle it, and so his inside, because of the spirit that was in him that consumed the body, now, Agreed. from the inside out, the, the spirit of the Silmarils was like... I don't know if that's the right term to use, but was like consuming him from the inside because, you know, his song was going against the original song of the... Well, and if you think about it, so he's been rampaging through the region. So uh, the way I think about it is the Simrils do have a fire, a light and a fire in them, and it is burning Karkaroth, and he should be dead if it weren't for the devouring spirit that was right. inside of him keeping him alive. And in the but, same way, it burned Morgoth when he first... And it burned, because it burned Morgoth as well. But the but the, the difference is the line where it says that the Silmarils suffered Baron's hand to hold them, and and did not harm it. So they maintain his hand and they do, they do more than just don't burn it. They preserve his hand because his hand, after being in the belly of a right. wolf for whatever weeks or months or whatever it was, many, maybe years, because Baron's been living with Luthien for a while out in the wild. Um, all that whole time, his hand's been inside of Karkaroth. So, and, and they find that it's preserved and the quote, the Tolkien, the word Tolkien uses is incorrupt. Yeah. Although like, 
<laughs> like turning off. Uh, okay, I'm not going to make that analogy. However, <laughs> like his his hand essentially it, it 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 is no more once Mablong reaches forth to touch it. The hand right, so the hand just disappears. Disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like a holodeck. <laughs> you said you weren't going to do it, I'm and so then sorry. you did it. Sorry. I've been watching Deep Space Nine lately. And here's what I like. What I really like about this passage is the turning point in Thingol. So right before this passage, it says, there they fought to the death, they being Huon and Karkaroth. But Thingol gave no heed, for he knelt by Baron, seeing that he was sorely hurt. So here we go. Here's the king, who we've been told over and over and over again has no love for Baron. And and he's r- mere feet away is this spirit of death and destruction worse than Glaurung. And... Or, and and who on fight, the Hound of Rome fighting to the death? And Thingol's like, yeah, I don't care. Turn my back on them because because Baron's here sorely hurt. So you can imagine him tending to Baron or trying to. Yeah. Um, so so this I see this as the turning point in Thingol where he where he he comes to accept and honor Baron. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it certainly seems that way. And it is at that point that they call him Baron Camlost uh, right after he passes. That uh, he is empty-handed <laughs> still. Because they're like now, fine. It's like he got it, and now he now now it's empty-handed because now it's right right there with uh, Thingle. Thingle has it now. Yeah. Yep. Um, they're like and, fine. And, we'll use your cool new nickname. Whatever <laughs> you earned it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we we like the other one, but sure, we'll use the, we'll use the joke name. That's fine. And uh, Baron doesn't die immediately. He doesn't say anything else after um, he says, "Now is the quest achieved." He said, "Am I doomed full, full rot?" And he spoke no more. But he does stay alive while they carry him back because it says that he does look upon Luthien one one last time. That's right. And um, Luthien, um, she, she set her says, arms around about yeah. Baron and kissed him, bidding him await her beyond the Western Sea, which is interesting because he wouldn't go to oh beyond the Western. Well. Is she, is she talking about the halls of Mandos there? She is, which is very interesting yes, because exactly. because because this el, men don't go to the halls of Mandos, right? So here and then, and here's the like I had a Google Maps moment. It's like, do you want to have a stop in the middle of your A to point A to point B? Please click here <laughs> for a stop. It says for the spirit of Baron at her bidding, tarried in the halls of Mandos, unwilling to leave the world. So it's it is as if the spirit travels west. So Baron's spirit travels west in death, and it's going to go past Valinor and past the halls of Mandos. But it stops because Luthien bid him to stop. So he stops in the halls of Mandos, which has got to be a kind of an awkward moment for Mandos. He's like, um, okay, a man, never seen that here before. Yeah. And all the elves are like starting to step back. They're like, what's, what's <laughs> what going on? is uh, this? this guy? And he's off in a corner by him by himself. He's the cast out, bullied. And then comes the you know the most one of the most if if not the most amazing end of life scenes because Luthien does that thing which elves can do which is just will herself to die <laughs> and her spirit goes to the halls of Mandos so she, her body falls lifeless into the ground and her spirit goes to the halls of Mandos which she's supposed to because she's an elf I mean technically she's yeah. half half Maiar half elf but um, she has elf she is an elf and so. And then she sings this song. And if we thought that the song that she sang before Morgoth was was powerful, this one is even... And this is what I love about Tolkien. Like the song of conflict, the song of power that is the greatest deed ever wrought by elf or man, according to Tolkien, is still 
I mean, you think of it as like an adventure deed, right? Because you have a foe. And, and so this is the greatest deed ever dared, says Tolkien. But now we have a different song, which is even more powerful. The song of Luthien before Mandos was the song most fair that ever in words was woven, and the song most sorrowful that ever the world shall hear. Unchanged, imperishable, it is sung still in Valinor beyond the hearing of the world, and listening the Valar are grieved. For Luthien wove two themes of words, the sorrow of the Eldar and the grief of men, of the two kindreds that were made by Iluvatar to dwell in Arda, the kingdom of Earth amid innumerable stars. And as she knelt before him, her tears fell upon his feet like rain upon the stones. And Mandos was moved to pity, who never before was so moved, nor has been since. So it's gorgeous, just gorgeous prose there yeah. describing this song. Yeah, how, it's 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 sort of a study in how how do you describe a song mm. without hearing it, but trying to give you a sense of the impact and the feeling that you would have upon listening to it. Um, and and you can only do that by describing how people react to it. Uh, That's right. Not not by it sounded beautiful and lovely <laughs> and wonderful, but no, the Valar are grieved. Um, and they continue to sing it. And uh, Mandos wept, right? Uh, like rain upon the stones. All these, all these things that try to communicate the power of the song without telling you, without describing the power of the song. Right. Actually, I, just to be clear, I think it was Luthien's rain, his tears were rain upon the stone. Oh, sorry, yes. Right. And Mandos was moved, moved to, pity. to pity. Sorry, sorry. Yep, yep, yep. So I just don't. I just don't want to like have no, a picture no, no, you're right. of like wasn't crying, e you know, emo right? Mandos like mm -hmm. pouring out like rain <laughs> upon the stone. <laughs> That's the Amazon and, and version. Uh, Mandos, and, and right. Mandos, Mandos has man writing in his name, so he, <laughs> he can't cry. No. He's got a reputation oh, oh to maintain. God. He can't do that. Oh no, no, no. But, yes. but he was right. moved to pity. <laughs> And who knows? There might have been a little bit of wetness. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, a little bit. Of, was, there's some right. dust in the air. He was grieved. Yeah. We know that. It's like, okay, I'm not crying, guys. Someone was, someone was cutting an onion nearby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what's funny is uh, one of the questions we're going to deal, deal with on our extended podcast is um, what happens to Baron's and Luthien's body when they die? Like what? And then they're sent back because that's what happens, right? Uh, she goes and Mandos uh, speaks. Is it Mandos speaks to uh, Manwe? Um, uh, he went therefore to Manwe, Lord of the Valor, who governed the world under the hand of Iluvatar. And Manwe sought counsel again in his inmost thought, which I think this is the second time that we hear that directly. His like seeking counsel in his inmost thought. I, I didn't look up inmost to see if that is that's how he puts it. Yeah, I don't remember the about. use of that term. I know he he sought such counsel with regard to Yavanna and Aule and the ants and the eagles. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm curious to see how he wrote it there, too. But where the will of Iluvatar was revealed. And what was the will of Iluvatar? To bring him back, to give him choices, to, to, to say, like, you know what? Because of the, the greatest deed ever done in the history of Middle-earth and the greatest song ever sung in the history of Middle-earth, he was moved. Or, you know, this was originally written in the Doom of Mandos. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So Luthien decides, I'm, I'm moving back. I'm on my way. And again, the power and agency here is Luthien's. Mm -hmm. So Iluvatar doesn't say, this is my will, and reveal it to uh, Manwe and say, look, here's my will, and let it be done. He says, my will is give them a choice. So he does reveal his will to Manwe, but his will is a choice. 
which is very interesting. So, so, and then the choice is um, either for, for um, Luthien to, to leave the halls of Mandos and dwell forever in Valinor and Baron to do as death, accept the gift of, gift of death and pass on out of the bounds of the world. Or, and I quote, but the other choice was this, that she, Luthien, might return to Middle-earth and take with her Baron there to dwell again, but without certitude of life or joy. So here's the interesting part about that to me. It says, she might return to Middle-earth and take with her Baron. Now, right, the sentence before it says, for it was not permitted to the Valar to withhold death from him, which was the which is the gift of Iluvatar to men. So in other words, Manwe is speaking. He says, okay, here's the choice that Iluvatar is giving you. Number one, you take the gift of death. We can't actually give you back life. We can't take that from you. So that's one. Or two, Luthien takes you back to, with her to Middle-earth. In other words, the Valar didn't do that. Luthien did. Hmm. The agency there to, like, because I was thinking the first time I read it, I was like, wait, how? So if the Valar can't withhold death, they can't give life back to men who've died. So how has he come back to life if she chooses door number two? And the answer is in the words. She might return to Middle-earth and take with her Baron there to dwell. So just like she held Baron in the halls of Mandos by her words, telling him to stop there, and then he did, as no man has ever done, it's her power, the power of her words, that then um, sings the song, moves the Valar to pity, and then they, Luvatar gives her a choice, and then by that choice, she takes Baron back. Agency is hers every single step of the way. It's really interesting. Though to be clear, it's not her power that allows her to come back. It is Iluvatar's choice that so, is allowed yeah, to her. That's right. So but he agency, works his right. Her agency is in the choice, not in executing the the how that choice executes itself in the world. Okay, I agree with that. So the power is Iluvatar's, except he gives it. He has that power exercised through her choice, yes. not through the Valar giving life. He doesn't say like choose door number two. Then the Valar will give life back to Baron, and and right. you and you will get to go back to the Earth, and um and you'll live together. <laughs> Choice number two yeah. is yeah. take Baron back with you to Earth. I don't know how that works, <laughs> but she does. <laughs> but she does, and mm -hmm. and and that's and it's through Iluvatar's power. But the Valar have no agency in this. They didn't. Their agency was to give her the choice, um, which is speaking the will of Iluvatar. Mm -hmm. That's. I mean, they they transmitted Iluvatar's <laughs> um, um, judgment to her essentially, and that was it. They they can't do anything else. Um, they can't they can't prevent Baron from dying. Yeah. So that's fa it's yeah. fascinating to me when I read it carefully this time because it's it's he's he, I think he's carefully putting. Um, act, having the will of Iluvatar enacted through Luthien herself, as we see every single time. Yeah. Luthien staves off certain death over and over. Luthien brings about the greatest deed ever dared by Elfer Min through the power of her song. Luthien does something which no one has ever done, which is cause a man to tarry in the halls of Mandos. Luthien moves Mandos to pity, and then Luthien is given the choice by Iluvatar to take Baron back with her if she cho chooses yeah, yeah, to Middle yeah. Earth, and she does, and, and and to accept the gift of men, and and accept the gift of men, so that she will then die herself. Yeah, uh, I, that, I, I was just thinking about that. Is the the long right? The the elves are tied to the earth. They're tied right. to to to, yeah, to Arda, uh, but that's never referred to as any gift or any sort of um, 
bestowment from Iluvatar. It's just their their nature. It's just that's exactly. Are. Whereas men are only explicitly ever referred. Death is only re- like that is their gift, and mm-hmm. so it's not like giving her mortality was an actual gift. It was like, look, I'm going to give you this now that I've given to men. And, you know, now you can honor that gift as well, rather than I'm taking something away because you don't get to live until the earth dies. Uh, yeah, I was just, it, it just struck me as like, she is accepting the gift now. She, she he's, he's doing something that, the Luvatar is doing something that he didn't expect to do, which is transferring a gift. He's a, he's, you know, it's, it's like, taking a, a white elephant gift stealing it from somebody at a christmas party you get you, you get the gift at the end <laughs> <laughs> you take the best one because you're the last one left um yeah so they're sent back and uh alone of the elderly right alone of the elder she has died indeed although at, at least up to this point right right uh because you know obviously arwen um um, yeah, she's the forerunner of many in whom the elder seeth, though all the world has changed, the likeness of Luthien, the beloved, whom they have lost. Um, yeah, she's, she's still like her, her, you know, the, the, their, their joining and their sending back sets forth many things in motion that then uh, we see change the entire world again. And I, I, man, I, I like this story more and more the more I read it. There's a depth to it that I think reading it the first time you just don't get. But going Missed through it like this, like I've, I've like spending essentially a month reading this, and I've probably read <laughs> through it like three or four times, and then listened to it in an audiobook uh, uh, right. uh, once as well. I get, uh, yeah. There, and and talking over it with you guys, you, you hear so many different things that you wouldn't have would have missed, um, and you get to speak more about those things. Yeah. So this is this has been amazing. Um, Anything else to say about the whole story here before we get into uh, uh, our extended podcast? We are going to deal with some questions from our from our patrons, uh, including, uh, like we talked about, what happens to Barons and Luthien's body? Um, what about that Gondolin scene? Like, is there anything to be taken from that? Or um, what about when, like, wh- where was it written in comparison to Aragorn Arwen? And so we're going to talk about a few of those things in the extended podcast, which you can only get if you're a patron. Uh, but guys, any final thoughts um, on of Baron and Luthien? Other than like it is better the second time around, all, or the second time around, the seventeenth time around because I've gone through it so many times. <laughs> Although I have a feeling I'm going to like um, the Children of Hurin a lot better too on the second yeah. time, uh, in this very slow, deliberate approach to reading the Silmarillion. <laughs> What's interesting is um, I was looking up. I was just doing some research, and there, you know, here's the thing: is like there's so many. There's so much Tolkien that you can consume. And it feels like you could spend an entire like 10 years and still be reading everything and trying to, you know, ingest everything that's talked about. But these, um, uh, th- this version of the Silmarillion uh, of, of Baron and Luthien is uh, primarily taken from, I think, two drafts of the Quintus Silmarillion that uh, Christopher Tolkien took and put together into one better cohesive story. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I need to go back into it um, and uh, look at, some of those differences and, and how he put that together in order to create the, the better cohesive story, because Tolkien really never finished the narrative in his full final format of like, this is the story of Baron and Luthen. I am done. 
Just like Vin Diesel, he was done. He was, oh, we're no. gonna we're gonna talk about oh, that no. in our extended podcast yep. too. Vin Diesel. We're gonna talk about Vin Diesel, which y'all have been waiting months yeah. for. I know. Yeah. So yeah, I guess um, just as you're talking, like this whole story of Baron and Luthien, obviously I'm going through it the first time with you guys, and it does seem to be like an encapsulation of so much of what Tolkien's all about. It's it's uh, man and elves coming together. It's um, light versus dark. It's uh, finally going into the belly of the beast and actually facing the big bad Morgoth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, going into the belly of the beast uh, in two different <laughs> ways, <hand>. too. Yeah. And you have um, like the just that I think that that through line for me of when I read Tolkien is uh, the overwhelming power of evil and how it's overcome through like meekness and subtle you know, the subtle power of good. And uh, no matter how bad it looks, that good will come out through in the end. And you, and then you also have in this, like you have like a detailed explanation of like them go, dying and then coming back. And like, you, you just have like this idea, you, you start getting into the idea of eternity in a sense of like the, the ultimate picture of everything. And one thing that Michael was saying that I really liked was how, when Morgoth had the Cimmeril, it's almost like he finally attained it, and through his possession of it, it was it was lessened, it was dimmed, and it wasn't until uh, it wasn't until Luthien comes that it, it lights up again. And I thought that that was really interesting. I didn't pick up on that yeah. fully. Yeah, it, it's in, in its nature, flaring up in the face of her beautiful song. It becomes more than he can bear, right? because mm-hmm. in, in its true nature it's almost like a little it reminds me a, a little bit of the some of the passages in the great divorce by c.s lewis where the mm-hmm. weight of the real things in heaven are too much for for um um us to bear they're almost too real they're too you can't, they're you too, can't even walk on the grass because it's so right. sharp it's and painful. So real. it's painful and so the silmaril blazing forth into brilliance and becoming its real self bows the head of morgoth the mightiest of the mm. creatures in Arda, or the or the beings in Arda, as Tolkien said earlier, in a previous chapter. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a fantastic story. It has a, and it, I mean, like all good stories, it has a great dad joke in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just excellent. So. Tolkien dad joke. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's <laughs> well, all right. So that 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 was great. That's like, how do you close up this story? Well, I don't, I don't know, but if if you are wanting a few more things well if if you like Tolkien <laughs> if you do then i would recommend getting uh the, uh, the actual there it copy. Is. i think this is uh this is the of baron and luthien which is you know how the fall of numenor came out last year last year mm-hmm. yes last year yes sir which was kind of an amalgamation of like okay here's everything that happens in numenor and we're going to put it together in a way that's a little more uh digestible than trying to find everything in the histories of middle earth this here uh gives you a picture of how Tolkien wrote Baron and Luthien. It gives you the Lay of Lathian, which is the, the poetic uh, rendering of that. It talks about what happens after Baron and Luthien die a little bit. Um, uh, and so you get a fuller picture of the entire story of it. But it's not, it's not a novel, right? It's not like we took the, what was in the Silmarillion and we made it more, uh, more of a digestible narrative. And, and, and expand it. It's, it's a lot of notes. It's how Christopher Tolkien associate, uh, assessed his father's notes and created this, helped create the story and tried to create something based on everything. 
um, that was a full tale of, of Baron and Luthien. But it's, it's really interesting. Um, so if you enjoyed this here, I'd recommend getting Baron and Luthien. This came out in 2007, I think it was. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, I'll have a link below where you can get it. Um, um, but hi highly recommended. Although I do like the Children of Huron better as a, as a standalone story. I, I think it was. Into? It was. It's a lot older, uh, newer than 2007. I think it's 2017, maybe. Maybe that's what you're transposing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 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 is it? Oh yeah, you're right. Really, 2017 was was Children of Huron was 2007 then. Yeah. Or was that the fall of Gondolin? I don't know. He, I, he wrote a few uh, other books. You're right. 2017. It is in here. So 2017. So it's still relatively recent. Right. Um, but like Jonathan said, it is a compilation of the story told in different forms. Um, yeah. Of yeah. which the one we just read is the latest form. So the the, the one in the Silmarillion is the latest. Yeah. And the it's, la it's almost last. like, it's kind of like, uh, there, it's a defense of how he put it in the Silmarillion in a way saying like, look, this is what we, what I was left with when my father passed, like, these are all the different stories. Here's, you know, here's how it started originally where, uh, you had, um, the, the, uh, Tavildo, the Prince of Cats was originally a character <laughs> and, uh, Karkaroth was, was Karkaros, K-A-R-K-R-O-S, I think if I remember right. So there, like it, it goes through the different names. Luthien had, you know, the different mm. names were different. Um, Thingol was, ooh. it has more about Thuring Gwethel, the, uh, yes. vampire lady. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit like a study in it, but there are good parts in it. And if you can if you go through it solely, like it's it's just as um, rewarding as if you were to go through it, you know, in one film. Right. So if you can take parts of this, read it, you know, put it down for a couple of weeks, and then come back to it and say like, well, let's 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 learn again what he was because it can be a little dry to go through all the notes over and over again, kind of like reading the Book of Lost Tales or Peoples of Middle Earth and things like that. But if you're really into it, I highly recommend it. So, <laughs> all right, uh, we are going to move on into our extended podcast, which you can get. By becoming a patron, man, I feel like I'm I'm hawking like some great deal here uh, as a sale. I hate being a salesman, but hey, look, it, it helps us keep doing this here. It pays the bills, um, and it's a lot of fun to to get all these questions in our Discord. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna make this late night even longer and talk for another half hour about all these questions. We're gonna Why talk not? about we're gonna talk about <laughs> Vin Diesel. We're gonna talk about that wonderful article that says tampering with Lord of the Rings is totally justified. Mm. Rings of power. We're looking at you, mm. uh, and uh, and we'll jump into that. So, guys, guys, bye, oh, freeloaders. Yeah, wait, no, diving in. No, 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 they're not, they're not. We're not saying bye yet because next week we're doing the entirety of chapter twenty of the fifth battle, the battle of unnumbered tears. Because I'm not going to try and pronounce the the, the near Nyth Arnoidiad. Near Nyth Arnoidiad. Yep. Sounds like a Domino's commercial. Avoid <laughs> Sorry. I'm really dating myself there. So, yeah. Chapter wow, 20. the Noid. Wow, that is impressive. <laughs> uh, chapter 20, uh, all, all uh, in the next episode. So, good seeing you. Join us at thewinner.com slash patron. Or if you're on YouTube, press the little uh, join button that's to the, to, the, to the left of the subscribe button. So, we'll see you there. Bye, everybody. All right. Bye-bye.